0: And welcome back to the Seek the Joy podcast. On today's episode is Michael Bina. Bina and I have known each other for well over 12 years. We met in high school and it is really freaky for me to think about the fact that we've basically known each other for half of our entire lives. But... Bina is a writer, a director, and producer, and he and his really good friend Sean, who he also met in high school, started their own production company, Stage 2 Media, and in the last six years, he and Sean have done some really great work together. In fact, this coming weekend, they are a finalist in the Producers Guild of America Make Your Mark weekend shorts competition for their short film, Children of the Revolution. And he talks about that on today's episode and just what an exciting time and opportunity for him and the rest of stage two media to even be nominated. And I am just so excited and so proud as his friend. This episode was really fun to record. We talk all about his journey, what he's learned along the way, both from success and failure. We also talk about starting his production company. We talk about his writing process and the projects that he is going on right now. And we also talk a little bit about staying grounded and loyal and true to yourself and just navigating this this industry. We also talk about valet, which is the really funny web series that he and Sean and the rest of Stage 2 Media created, and I'm going to include all of the links and the information so you can go ahead and watch Valet if you haven't already in the show notes for this episode. I have been a huge fan of Bina's since we met. I keep calling him Bina, but his name is Michael, but I've been calling him Bina since day one, and uh, that's not about to change. But it is really cool for me to see a friend and someone who I've known for so long, follow their passion, work hard and have success and continue to grow and learn. And it's just been so cool to see his journey. So I'm really excited about this episode. I hope that you enjoy it too. And yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dina. joined today by a good friend of mine, Michael Bina. Hi, Michael. How are you?
1: I'm great. Good morning.
0: I thought we could start off and you could just introduce yourself and who you are and what you do.
1: So my name is Michael, as you as you already told your, your audience. Um, I've known you for what now? 12 years?
0: Is that how long it's been?
1: <laughs> I think so. I think it's been 12 years now. That is that's almost half our life.
0: Oh my God, you're right actually. it's been a long time.
1: It's been a good long time.
0: It's been a really good long time.
1: Well, I write direct and produce. Right now I'm just working on a bunch of different scripts. Uh, that's what I went to school for. So yeah, I write movies and TV shows and plays and I like to dabble with between all three. Uh, usually people kind of stick to one or two, but I like all three so you're sort I- of
0: you're sort of a triple threat.
1: Oh, thank you. You're
0: thank welcome. You. I'm just full of I'm compliments for, this I'm, morning.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just keep keep them coming. This I will. Is gonna be-
0: I will. So, when did you first start writing, producing, directing, being the triple threat that you are?
1: So, um, growing up, when I was in like middle school, I always wanted to be a like a dentist. Um, that's because how I was kind of uh, raised. Yeah. By my Persian Jewish family, like doctor, lawyer, dentist, like all that stuff. It's like, okay, I'll be a dentist, like not a lot of years of school. Like it'll be fine. It'll be great. And then when I went to Beverly, I had always loved movies and TV shows, by the way. But when I went to Beverly, um, I started at KBEV, which is the, uh, television uh, studio that the school has. And so I got super involved in that and I just love directing and I love producing and I just kind of started writing then, and I really enjoyed writing. And then when I was applying to colleges, because I had done so much like directing and producing at KBEV, I really wanted to uh, learn the craft of writing. And so I kind of decided, you know what, that's it. Like I want to, like I want to write. I want to direct and produce. So I ended up going to school for that.
0: So you went to NYU, and did you graduate early, by the way?
1: Yeah, I did uh, my major two minors in three years, which is the craziest thing. Who are thing. you?
0: Oh, my God.
1: Uh, it, it was it was absolutely uh, nuts. I was doing um, summer school. I was taking seven classes a semester, uh, summer sessions where I could only take eight credits. I was getting waivers for 22. But I'm one of those people that if you give me one task to do— I'll I will I won't do it if you give me 25 I'll do them all
0: no it's kind of like you like the thrill and the rush of having a lot to do and I'm kind of the same way I'm more productive when I have a lot on my plate like if I only have one thing to do it takes me forever to do it but if you give me 15 things to do they're done in five hours so yeah exactly. just sort of thrive that way yeah I understand uh, that too I to
1: say that I thrive in chaos
0: but it's good chaos it's like good productive it's, chaos
1: productive, controlled chaos. Yeah.
0: Nothing too crazy. Yeah. So this, exactly. is, I would say this is definitely your passion. So, and it has been for as long as I've known you 12 years and counting, uh, what is it about writing and producing and I guess directing too, that you're so passionate about or excites you and, and brings you joy?
1: You know, I just love to tell stories about people and come up with wor- uh, like worlds, and situations and as a writer I am even when I'm on vacation or I'm not writing I'm always thinking about something that a person I see on the street or a situation I see unfold like in front of my eyes I'd be like wow that that's the start of a movie that's the start of a television show um and that's what I enjoy about it you know
0: yeah
1: uh, telling stories that really haven't been told before is something that really uh, intrigues me, and that's what I try to go for.
0: I would say the things that I think you've created and developed in the last couple of years are definitely stories that haven't been told before. So, for example, your series Valet that uh, I have so enjoyed—I've actually watched it a couple of times because <laughs> I think have it's really? so that's yeah, because I think it's so funny. Um, and maybe for everyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, do you want to give like a short? synopsis of what valet is
1: yeah so valet is this kind of uh short web series that we created uh me and my partner Sean who we do most of our stuff together uh who I, who I met in kebab actually and
0: yeah I was going to say I think you guys met in kebab I mean obviously we met you guys met in high school but I was I I thought it was kebab yeah
1: it was actually in kebab because he went to El Rodeo I went to Hawthorne and we didn't meet until El
0: Rodeo Eagles represent <laughs> Sorry.
1: (laughs) Were you guys the Eagles?
0: I think so. Oh, my God. It's going to be so embarrassing if I'm wrong.
1: (laughs) You probably are right.
0: I think we're right because it just kind of flowed out of my mouth. So I feel like. Hawthorne
1: Hawthorne were the Vikings.
0: Okay. Anyway, continue. So we wanted to,
1: like, come up with this really fun idea for, like, this web series and, you know, Valley Parkers, which have never been done before. And we had so many interesting stories from, like, well, like I said, like situations that we have seen. Or heard, and um, it's just a situational comedy about valet parkers at their day job and the kind of shenanigans they get into. Because honestly, let me tell you something: when you give your car to valet, a lot of stuff can happen.
0: You never know.
1: Yeah, we've had tons of episode ideas that didn't make the cut. Like, for example, uh, we heard a story about a valet parker parking a convertible like on the street, and then all of a sudden going back to get the car. And it's soaking wet because, (laughs) like, someone's uh, sprinklers went on and just went into the car, you know? Yeah. So as a Valley parker, you have to really think about, like, are all the windows closed? Like, it's convertible. Um, Do I move—sometimes you can't move the seats, so it's really difficult because, like, you don't know how they previously were set. And so it's really difficult to— I guess, be a valet parker, but the situations are so funny and absurd. And that's really yeah. what we were going for. And we no, have a full ensemble of like eclectic and interesting and like really wide array of like funny actors that we were so happy to get.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, I think those actors, they all like it's within the script, obviously, but they each have their own dynamic with each other. And then as a whole, as a whole valet group ensemble whatever so i think it's really well done is there a third season in the mix
1: you know that's something we're talking about uh i have some really really funny ideas for a third season but we're trying to focus on um other web series to get those off the ground yeah maybe do two seasons of a couple of other things and then come back to a third season of a
0: valet. So you and Sean, speaking of you and Sean, you guys both started stage two media. So yeah, what that is our- that's your production company, which is really exciting. When did you guys start it? Was it during college or after you graduated?
1: It was actually during college because we were making short films or we wanted to make a short film. And basically it was a pretty big budget short film and we wanted to really protect ourselves and also our crew. So we kind of created this uh, LLC in case anything happened. We were insured, yeah. all of that stuff. And so after we did that, we kind of just steamrolled from there, creating more sh- uh, shorts. Um, people came to us. We've done music videos and commercials and Kickstarter videos and web series. And it's just actually been really fun these couple years that we've been doing it. Yeah. Or more than a Wow. It's been probably six or seven by now.
0: That's a long time too. So what do you think you've learned the most about yourself from starting and then running your own production company?
1: Honestly, the one thing that I've learned is organization is really key to success, but also loyalty. Like in this entertainment industry, people are so finicky and they're not loyal, but Sean and I pride ourselves on being loyal with our crew and with our cast and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And if you see our productions, we have the same actors that we love to use and they love to come work with us because they know that, uh, you know, we take good care of them. Our sets are fun. Um, you know, it's just a good connection and working environment. And I, I would say, honestly, loyalty, you know? Yeah. And that's, Why so many uh, famous directors uh, work with the same actors like Martin Scorsese works with Leonardo DiCaprio over and over and over again, because you build a relationship, you build trust, um, you build a connection and bond.
0: Yeah, you build that trust and camaraderie and the fact that they enjoy working with you guys, I think, also speaks volumes, too, because You know, you could want them to come back, but they wouldn't necessarily want to. So the fact that they want to come back and work with you guys and work with stage two media and come back for different types of productions. I don't know. I think that speaks volumes, too.
1: And it makes everything um, kind of seamless. Like when you're on set, you just you need to make your day. So if you're shooting, you know, sometimes seven pages, you really need to be able to move, move, move. And, you know, if you have that relationship with your actors and your crew. You can kind of uh, sometimes get them to, you know, go that extra stretch because they know that you'll take care of them.
0: Yeah, that's important too. So speaking of working on sets and creating this sort of atmosphere and trust and loyalty, where do you, though, feel the most creative? So
1: interestingly enough, I just feel creative wherever I am. You know, I can... I can be in line at the grocery store and see something interesting and I'll take out my phone and I'll write notes about what's going on. Um, I can be creative on an airplane. I can be creative on the beach in Costa Rica. Uh, I'm one of those writers who, uh, I don't have a space where I write everywhere I go. I, I am creating. Um, I've known some other writers who can only, you know, write in an office or in a coffee shop. Uh, the situation around them needs to be, uh, they need to be in the right situation to be creative. Whereas, uh, thankfully for me, I can almost be in any situation and still, you know, get work done and be creative and come up with content, write scenes. Yeah. Uh, my brain is always, I thinking I write maybe 10 to 15 projects at the same time.
0: Oh my gosh, that's, that's pretty amazing. But I would say, given the fact that we do live in LA and there is so much going on, it kind of doesn't surprise me that you can be at the grocery store and see something and just start writing. It's really cool that you can just start writing wherever you are and you don't limit yourself that way. And it just sort of flows and comes to you. And also the fact that you're working on 10 or 15 projects at the same time doesn't totally surprise me either
1: that's the thing um even if I'm working on whatever I'm working on uh sometimes I get stuck on something and I don't want to like like give up so I move to something else and while I'm writing that other thing maybe the piece of the puzzle that was missing for something else clicks and then I just go back and forth
0: Yeah. So you give yourself that freedom and the flexibility and to come back to something because I think that's true. If you're so focused on one thing or one project, I don't know, you can start to feel like, okay, they call it writer's block or like a creativity block. It's just not coming to you anymore. And so the fact that you have other projects to work on, you can start sort of focus your energy there and then come back. And I don't know, I think that probably makes for better ideas and better scripts or screenplays or projects that you're working on too yeah
1: everything has its pros or cons because doing that it takes longer to complete things you know so sometimes I just have to really tell myself okay this one you're almost done with it finish it or I every now and then I go back into my library of scripts and read things um scenes and uh just to look back and to refresh my memory of what I have what I don't have and then I'll realize oh my god you finish ninety five percent of the script, it only needs five more pages. And then that's when I finish it. You know, when I go back and remember that, oh, this is almost done. Yeah. You know? That makes oh, sense too. It's four years, you forgot to you forgot to finish it, but that's because I was missing a scene that now I'm able to write.
0: I also think it goes to show though everything is all in good time. So you may finish 95% of a project, but then, you know, you take a step back and then you feel that inspiration and you come back and you finish it. And I think it just goes to show that there isn't just one set timeline for things either that it sort of, it, the way I look at it is life happens and you may think that things need to be completed or done in a certain period of time. And then you take a step back and you start working on something else and then you may feel inspired to go back and finish it. And then what you have created to finish it Mm. is probably a lot better than what you would have even created if you had kept working on it and sort of drove yourself crazy that way too. So I do really think things happen in the time that they're supposed to. And when creativity strikes, I don't know. I just think you have to go back when you feel inspired. I'm a believer
1: in that as well. And I'm also a believer in things are never finished. Yeah. So I'm always going back and tweaking like scripts and Uh, you know, when I go back into my library of things, reading even scripts that are finished and opening the final draft document, which is where the document that I write my screenplays and stuff on and just deleting lines, you know, and editing as I go on, um, you know, punching up jokes that, you know, six months ago, eight months ago were funny. Now they're not.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, too, because things change and they evolve and you sort of have to evolve with it too.
1: Exactly. You know, like, um, I have a TV pilot out there and there's a couple lines about, uh, Angelina and Brad being married and having a bunch of adopted kids, because that's kind of what the the show that I wrote is about, about two families coming together. And then, you know, when they separated, I'm like, Oh, this joke doesn't really work anymore because You know, they're not married or they're not together. So you have to go back and you have to fix it before you send it out to uh, other people again, because it's not new. It's not fresh.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So do you have a script or a project that you would say you are the most proud of?
1: This question is always difficult because everything I write immediately, I'm most proud of it. Yeah. Um, But also everything that I've written is kind of like a family member or, you know, a kid of mine, um, there's some qualities and one that I'm most proud of, like for example, a script i'll be I love the dialogue in this, but the story's not working, and then there'll be another script where, oh my God, the entire story is I'm just so proud of this. There'll be one script where maybe it'll take me five years and then I finish it, and then I'm proud that it actually came together. you know, yeah. so there's not really one project that. I am most proud of. Um, It's also interesting because uh, people who I've met and talked to, uh, when this question comes up, a lot of times it's not the ones that wins them the most awards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, You know, sometimes directors, when you ask them what their favorite project is, it's the smaller films, you know, the ones that they champion to get made that they're most proud of, not the ones that want to, you know, an Oscar or an Emmy.
0: Yeah, it's those projects that you've really had to dig deep, right, and work really hard on and put your all into. But I think your answer is really interesting because I think most people expect anyone who creates anything to say, oh, this right here, this is what I'm most proud of. But I think your response actually speaks more to the truth, which is when you're working on something and you put so much into it and it almost becomes... A labor of love it's like your child you know and there are different aspects of it that you're excited about or proud of it's really difficult to just pick one thing and I think it also when it's your career and your passion and you're working so hard on it yeah every project there's going to be an aspect of it that you're proud of and the dialogue is what you're the most excited about or the plot line or this one scene. So I, I think your answer is really interesting and also sort of, I don't know, really speaks to the truth of the work that you do. And I'm very
1: critical of myself. I'm highly critical. That is critical. very true too. So okay. things that I'm most proud of, I'm also, there's a lot of things that I'm not proud of that can be better. My favorite part about writing and creating is not the like actual getting words on paper, it's getting a first draft Printing it and marking it up. I probably go through like eight or nine drafts of every script. And these are actually like heavy, you know, like from 120 pages in draft one to 100 pages by draft four to 90 pages by draft eight. And it
0: probably is a lot better because you do do that. I mean, I think so. I obviously don't necessarily have a creative background, but for me, writing briefs and other lovely things in in law school and beyond. I mean, you think your first draft is so great and then you go back and yeah, the art of the red pen, right? And going back in there and really tearing it apart. And I would say by the end, and I I go through probably eight to 10 drafts myself, but by the time I'm done, it's a hell of a lot better than what it was when I started or what it would have been if I didn't take the time and really go through it and with a fine tooth comb and and really... Just make it a lot better. So it's interesting to hear that you sort of obviously do the same thing.
1: Yeah, okay, I love it. So,
0: what are you working on right now, though?
1: Oh man, I'm working on a bunch of things, but uh, right now, a short that I made got into the Producers Guild of America.
0: I was going to ask you about that, but I'm glad you brought it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is actually really exciting for us. So, the Producers Guild of America, every couple of years, has this weekend shorts competition where in kind of 48 to 50 hours, you have to write, direct produce, edit, cast score, anything that needs to be done to make a film. Uh, you have two days to do it and they give you a theme and a setting and, uh, items you kind of have to, you know, put into the, into the short and they don't give you those until the Friday afternoon. So you can't really do anything. um,
0: wow! I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a pretty chaotic two days. You really don't get much sleep. Um, but Sean and I made this five-minute short film called Children of the Revolution, and it's uh, foreign language. It's in Farsi, and it takes place in the 80s in Iran, and it's about a mother whose son goes off to the Iran-Iraq war, And every day she kind of calls in because that's what they had to do back then. They had to call into an agency to see if their sons were missing, alive or dead. And they would check in. And this is a story about a mother whose son is kind of missing. And they don't have any uh, news on his whereabouts. But it cuts to the present, which is her calling, as well as the past, which is when he tells his parents he's leaving he's getting ready to leave, and then when he leaves. And uh, you just kind of see the effect it has on the mother and the way she ended it with her son wasn't a very positive note, so she kind of has some regrets. And it's a really short five-minute thing, but we're very excited Um, that we were selected top ten because this short, like, almost killed us. Uh, (laughs) We were editing for about 14 hours, and I think we almost missed the deadline oh by like god. seconds.
0: Oh my god. So when yeah. it's coming up, right, that you find out whether or not you guys have won, how does it work?
1: So on November 11th, there's actually the PGA is hosting an event in downtown. They're going to screen the top 10 and then they're going to give out prizes for first, second and
0: third. I'm really excited for you guys. This is so cool. Yeah, we were there
1: 4 years ago. And when another one of our shorts made the top 10. And of course, I come from a very big Jewish Persian family. Mm-hmm. Sean comes from a very big Persian family as well. And so I would say maybe there was 200 people there. A good, actually maybe less, <laughs> like 150. A solid like 70% was from like both of our families. It's
0: hysterical, but I wouldn't expect anything less, honestly.
1: Yeah. So, um, but when we lost, that was, that was fun. That was fun.
0: Well, I but, think it's an accomplishment in itself just to even make the top 10, you know, that's something to be excited about and proud of. And I mean, yeah, of course, like winning first, second or third would be amazing. But the fact that you made it is incredible.
1: And that's something I've learned too. Um, when I was like really young, starting out with a production company, everything I made, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to get into this festival. This is going to do this. This is going to do great you have such high expectations and uh you have this kind of dreamer's mentality but then when it doesn't happen you get disappointed but then that's one of the my favorite things that i've learned is that just uh have don't have high expectations you know whatever happens happens and when we made that first producer's guild uh short in 2000 i think it was 13 we were, we were pretty young. Everyone who was uh, part of the top 10 was in their late 30s and early 40s. And we were 22, 23 years old. And that was, that was actually really exciting to be there with all these other people who had so many uh, years of experience. You know, even if we, you know, I joke and I say we didn't win, and our whole families were there and it was a thing, but just to To be there with the people who had that experience and uh, who've been in the industry that many years was actually an achievement for us.
0: I think so, too. I think it had to be a learning experience, too. And talking just a little bit about, you know, when you start out and you're so um, gung-ho, right, and you just feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this and this is going to happen and and this project and this script is going to go here and win this award or whatever it was – when those things don't happen, I mean, how for yourself, and obviously I think at 22 or 23, the response is really different than when you're 26 or or 27, you know, your, your responses to life change and your perspective changes, even if it's only a difference of like four or five years. So for you at the time, did you, how, how did you bounce back from that disappointment and and that experience. And I know you said for you, you learned, you know, don't have high expectations, but I'm wondering, is it more, you know, to just learn, to be proud of what you have accomplished and, and have that sort of perspective to, you know, and know that you have accomplished so much, even if it doesn't, you know, get a first place recognition.
1: Yep. Because at the end of the day, if you are happy with what you put out, like what you created, no one can, uh, you know, take that away from your feeling of achievement,
0: yeah, I agree with that because I think so much of what we of what we do, and I think a lot of it too is cultural and growing up and for me, it's a Jewish family for you. It's a Persian Jewish family. I think there's always a lot of pressure, right, and a lot of it is cultural and societal too, but it's it's about learning to be proud of what you've accomplished for yourself sort of without the external societal recognition too. I mean, I think regardless of what happens with this, you know, festival or award or whatever comes at you next, I know you're going to keep creating because you, you love it so much. And regardless of whether you get that external recognition or award, you're doing it for yourself too, which I think is really important too.
1: My, my, like, achievement from the short that I made was knowing that I can direct a foreign language film oh, successfully. Yeah.
0: I didn't even think about that part.
1: So that, for me, was a, a big deal. And because I always want to make, you know, Persian films in the future. And so to know and to show people that I can successfully do it is... Oh, yeah, that's huge. That's the, that's the achievement. That's the achievement for me.
0: So with your schedule being so crazy... How, how do you keep yourself grounded and sort of come back to taking care of yourself and doing all those things that are important so that you can keep creating and writing and directing and doing what it is that you love?
1: Um, I try not to make excuses for anything. So if I want to do something, I just, I just do it. You know, I love to travel. Um, and like I said, I write everywhere I go. That's just kind of how I stay grounded. I just, you know, I kind of do what I want.
0: And the fact that you can write wherever you go, I guess you're not limited. You can sort of take take what you do on the road, which I think is great, too. And so with everything that you juggle every day, how do you find joy in your day to day life? Because I'm sure some of it comes from what you do and what you're passionate about. But do you find joy in other aspects of your life, too, so that there maybe isn't burnout or or what does that look like for you?
1: I love to hang out with friends, just chill out with cousins, read a good book. Uh even watching a movie that I love brings me brings me joy. And you know, if my fire is kind of dimmed a little bit, I'll put on a movie that I love and it'll reignite it. It'll it'll get me excited.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you found over the years a lot of inspiration and ideas, too, from from old movies and and things like that, too.
1: I get very inspired by movies, but I also get very inspired by movies that aren't good.
0: Okay, what do you mean?
1: Because I I look at them and I say, this could have been done differently or, oh, my God, like um, that character arc is similar to this character arc that I have and it doesn't work. I just saw it. And it inspires me to make my work better.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So you see things in other films and other projects and things that you, you know, you think they could have done better or differently. That makes a lot of sense, too. And I'm sure that gets your mind going and, and thinking of things that you can do differently.
1: Success is great, but failure you learn so much more from. Oh, and I think totally. That's, and I think that's how you get to be, like, a master of your, of your work. You keep failing and then you understand why you failed so that you're able to fix it.
0: So what do you think you've learned the most from from moments of failure?
1: Ooh, that's tough. It's it has,
0: putting you on the spot.
1: Yeah, it has to be, uh, I think, more specific in terms of a like character arc or, you know, um, I used to read a bunch of scripts at production companies I was interning with. And I love long movies. So I was okay with reading 130, 140 page scripts, And that's what I would write as well, you know, but then I realized that I was an anomaly and people don't love to read that many pages. So I was churning out scripts that were this many pages and I wouldn't hear back or this and that, and the feedback wasn't as positive. But then when I cut it down to maybe 105, 110,
0: then you were trying to hear more. Yeah, more feedback. Yeah, I think it's about adapting, right? So when you put something out there, and you're not getting the kind of feedback that you would want or expect. And then, you know, taking a step back and looking at, okay, what is what's going on? What can I change? What can I do differently? And I think that also applies to not only your work, but yourself too, right? So, you know, what is it about the way I'm handling something or doing something and how can I change and adapt so that I get the feedback that I'm looking for, or I hear more responses so that I can, you know, alter, alter what I'm doing in my work so that there are opportunities for it to be seen and for growth and for things to keep going.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And one of the things I've also learned is that you can't send a comedy script to a producer who does drama and ex- like <laughs> and be disappointed, you know, that yeah. they don't answer. That yeah. that's an example. Um but you know sometimes uh what someone is looking for is very specific and you might not know it and even if your, you know, the script is great, it's not for them.
0: Yeah, so you have to also know who your audience is. For sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's also why I um I created the production company so I can turn out my own material. I can create content for myself. And that's actually been a really awesome, like, you know, learning experience about being on set and protocols and things that you learned in, in college, you know, you go to these, you go to these film schools, uh, you go to NYU and, you have a great professor, but he tells you everything I'm going to learn. Uh, you're gonna, I'm going to teach you and you're going to learn. Uh, basically, when you're on set, you're going to forget it. And it's just going to be a spur of the moment.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a hu- everything is just a big learning experience.
1: Like It's like being a doctor and learning how to perform open heart surgery, but you don't really know how to perform it until you actually do it on a live person.
0: Yeah. So it's just about having those experiences and keep putting yourself out yeah. there and learning.
1: It's the same as an open heart surgeon, but I'm just but saying that there are a lot that, of parallels
0: uh, in everything that we do, right? I mean, everything is learning experience until you have that practical experience and you're actually out there and you're you're doing, you know, what it is you want to be doing. You won't you won't learn until you're actually doing it.
1: Exactly. Even if you have learned to do it, you will not learn to do it until you're put in the situation.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. So for somebody who is just starting out and wants to be doing what you're doing, whether it's writing, directing, producing, starting and creating your own production company, whatever it might be, what, what would be your biggest piece of advice?
1: It would be to basically don't stop what you're doing. Just keep going. Sometimes it takes five years. Sometimes it takes 10 years. Sometimes it takes 15 years. Um, but if you keep creating content... And you keep, you know, moving forward. Sometimes you go into a meeting for a script that you just wrote. And you're thinking, wow, this is great. They love it. And they say, what else do you have? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, what else do I have? And then you go back into your library of things. And then something that you have interests them more, like, than what you came to present with. So I think you just have to keep creating. Don't stop. Um, Don't listen to what people... Uh, tell you, you need to find two or three people who you absolutely trust. And the feedback that they give you, it's hard. It takes a while for you to learn who these people are. And the feedback that they give you is um, to make your script better, but not to like conform to like any of like the quote unquote rules, because I also don't believe in rules in terms of writing, in terms of what needs to happen in a story. I think a good story is a good story, but if you can convey it in words, that's when you become successful. So, you know, your character arcs, people believe that it, it needs to happen this way. But if you successfully do it another way, I say go for it.
0: That I think that's really good advice. And something that you just said, I think not listening to what other people think maybe that you should do with your script or with your with your writing and what you've created. I mean obviously I guess on one hand you want to listen to the feedback and and take what it is that you can use and what will help with your growth but then getting rid of what maybe doesn't apply to you. So when you're in those situations and you're getting that kind of feedback, how how do you sort of remain true to yourself? Is it by you know, confiding and talking with the two to three people that you totally trust. I mean, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, if the two people that I incredibly trust with whatever I give them tell me the same thing. then I look at it and I say, OK, maybe they're on to something. And then I really think about it for myself and then ask them follow up questions like what about this, like about this scene, didn't you like or this line of dialogue Do I need to take it out or do I need to edit it? You know? Yeah. Um, Another piece of advice I would give is not to burn any bridges. To be loyal and to network. Totally. I've met so many people who, you know, they get a development deal somewhere or a script sells and then all of a sudden they are on a pedestal. But then, you know, they burn all these bridges and then six months later, well, the company doesn't follow with their, like follow through with their script or they lose their deal or nothing happens. And then they're back at your level. Just treat people like, well, treat them with, with kindness.
0: Yeah. Kindness goes, goes a long way. I think your point about networking is really important too, and just meeting as many people as you can. And it's about getting your name out there, but it's also about seeing what other people are doing and, and meeting people and creating, you know, those contacts. And I don't know, I think it makes for a lot of growth, no matter what industry you're in or what it is that you're, that you're doing or that you're passionate about. So my last question for you, what would be, or what is your biggest dream?
1: My biggest dream is to basically in 20, 30 years, be running my own, you know, kind of independent movie studios where I can greenlight the movies that I want to greenlight, but also be able to, you know, still write, direct, and produce the ones that I want to. Um, one of my biggest uh, inspirations is this man; his name is James Sheamus, and he was the head of Focus Features for the longest time. Um, so he was greenlighting movies like. Uh, Brokeback Mountain and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and if, like a bunch of like really awesome movies. But he while he was running the studio, he was writing some of those movies as well. He wrote like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and a few other things. So that idea of a, like a media, like a movie mogul who also is still writing and producing. That's what I would love to do. That's the dream.
0: That would be amazing. To be
1: able to other yeah. people's movies while also be able to make my own. I
0: think that would be, that would be really, that would be really, really cool to have sort of the best of both worlds in some ways, right? You're still putting out your own content and, and projects that you're creating and you're passionate about, but also to have the opportunity and the platform to put out movies and projects that are other people's. And I think that would be, I see it, it's going to happen. It's going to be really cool, too.
1: Because the people that I've worked with, you know, uh, the other cinematographers, you know, also direct. And I would love to give them something to direct or actors have scripts that I read that are really great. So to be able to make my friends work, you know, put it up on the big screen like that's that's the dream to just like uh, get to the top with the people that I started out with.
0: Oh yeah, that's huge. And, and that goes back to loyalty too. And staying loyal, you know, to the people who have been there with you from the beginning. And I also think that's a, that's loyalty to yourself too. So that would be, I think that speaks volumes and that would be really awesome to keep those people with you and and to go to the top together. I I, I think that would be amazing. Big dreams, big dreams, though attainable dreams. And I'm excited. I think it's going to be really, really cool. But where where can everybody find you and, and your work and, and Stage 2 Media?
1: So Stage 2 Media, you can go to media.com We also have a YouTube channel where you can go and find ballet.
0: Which everyone needs to check out because it's so funny.
1: Yeah, thank you. Subscribe, like, comment, share with your friends and family. Um, yeah, we're coming up with some really awesome... Content that hopefully we'll be putting out in the next couple months. And so,
0: can everyone see Children of the Revolution too, or is that not released to the public to see because it's part of the. Uh,
1: after we screen in November, we'll be able to put it
0: out okay. in public. I'm looking forward to it because I'm, yeah. it sounds really awesome. Oh, well, thank you, thank
1: thank you Michael,
0: you. Bina. We have known each other for way too long, <laughs> way too Forever. long, but I appreciate you coming on my podcast.
1: Thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. Uh, the funniest things happened to Sydney.
0: We could talk about the things that have happened to me forever. A throwback to cutting my thumb on the fudge with Baskin Robbins. Or what about that old man uh, that would hit on me? Do you remember that? Oh,
1: um. Yeah, the Baskin Robbins stories Baskin Robbins days
0: were good days, like for comedic reasons, That's... but like not personally, they weren't good days, but produced a lot of comedy. I still laugh.
1: Oh, I still laugh at the idea of you closing the store at like eleven o'clock <laughs> at night. I don't remember, I remember this vividly. <laughs> I'm like sitting at my desk, like doing my AP Stats homework, and I get a text from you, just being like, "I'm closing the store." The freezer stopped working. <laughs> Everything is melting.
0: <laughs> that actually happened. And you know what's really sad? Is that I that know. Baskin-Robbins location isn't even there anymore. But those were some good days and some not so good days for a lot of different reasons. But I think it produced a lot of comedic moments. And we uh, will never forget you posted on Facebook when I cut my thumb on the can of fudge. and
1: C.E.R. after you cut your thumb like it was oh, bad it was really
0: bad I had to go to the emergency room it's, I still have that photo I mean everybody still has that photo <laughs> it's on Facebook I was so oh my god some good moments